0: welcome, especially if it's your very first time. Uh, we're glad you're here. We've got uh, people watching at all of our different campuses this morning and uh, uh, people watching online as well. Last night, uh, actually this past week, we, uh, Laura and I were in Target and a guy named Alan stopped us and said, I've been watching you guys online for a while. I've never been to one of the campuses, but I've been watching online. One day I'm going to come to a campus. And so last night at the 415 service, I, I looked into the cameras and talked to the online people and I called him out and I was like, Alan, you need to come to church. And uh, um, yeah, I (laughs) Don't talk to me in Target or that's what's going to happen to you. And so uh, afterwards, immediately after we were out in the portico and Alan came walking up and he's like, I'm here. And I'm like, that's awesome. So now I'm feeling, it is good. So now I'm feeling bold. If you're watching online, you need to get to church. um, But we are really glad that you guys are here. A few years ago when we uh, we lived in, in Southern California. And we were at a church that had multiple campuses, very much like Hope. And part of the reason that we have multiple campuses is it it helps us, it's, it's part of our strategy to help encourage and support you to love people where they are. And so loving your neighbors and loving people in, in your communities. And so we were at a church there and, and the campus that I was working at was in Anaheim. It was just down the road from Disneyland. And so we, as, as a family, we decided we were gonna get residence passes. And this was like a, an annual pass to go to, to Disneyland, It was cheaper than just an individual ticket and cheaper than a normal annual pass. It was for residents that lived there. Still expensive. It only cost us one small child. And so uh, so that's why we only have Ty. We left the other one there. Uh, totally worth it. Uh, and so, um, but I do want you to know, we, just so you're aware, we didn't do it for entertainment purposes. We did it like mission work. We were doing it for Jesus. And that's why we got our memberships to, to Disney. And so, uh, and then I'll admit, growing up, I went to Disney a couple times, I wasn't a huge Disney fan, I just, I don't know, it was alright, I just didn't really care that much about it. But living in Southern California and going to Disney regularly, I began to, to enjoy it more and, and enjoy Disney, now, but there are two things, two things at Disney that I refuse to do under any circumstances at all. The first is, it's a small world. That is just a creepy, creepy ride, right? And, and it's just, it may be a small world, but it's a big task to get that song out of your head because it's stuck there for weeks. I heard people leaving service last night going, it's a small world. They're just, it's like stuck there, right? It'll be there for, for weeks. You could tell me that they were there were free peanut M&Ms like inside the ride, and I'm still not going in to, to get it, right? There's just no way. So it's a small world. The other one, the other one that I refuse to do under any circumstances is the Tower of Terror. I, I refuse to do. The Tower of Terror. Now, I like roller coasters, most roller coasters. A few years ago when I was the uh, student ministry pastor uh, here at Hope, we were, we were at the state fair and, and with a group of students, and, and we were on, uh, I don't know which one it was, but we were on one of the big roller coasters, and so we're on it, and we're going up and down, and I looked down while we're on this ride, and I saw a carney. And, and I say that with every connotation that comes with the word carney, because that's, that's really what it was, down at the base of the roller coaster with a giant wrench and he was hitting the bottom of our roller coaster as hard as he could with that wrench while we're still on it, which led to a few questions. First of all, if it was broken, why did they let me on it, right? And second... A wrench? Is that really like if it's broken, that's the best thing that you're going to hit it with? And then the third question was, if it's not broken, what's he doing? Right? There's this disgruntled carney at the bottom of my ride. So at that point, I said, never again. I'm not doing any more fair rides. The only, the only ride I do at the fair is people watching, which is really the best ride anyways at the, at the fair. And so I, I'm fine with roller coasters. It's the it's the straight up and down rides, right? That's the ones that I, I just, I have a problem with. I believe the Lord gave us gravity for a reason, and I don't think we're intended to mess with it, right? And so I, I'm just not, I'm not down with that. And so we were at Disney World several years ago with some good friends, and uh, someone lied to me, and they told me Tom Brady was in the Tower of Terror. And so in a moment of weakness, I went in, and then I couldn't get out, right? And so now I'm stuck in this ride. And if you've never been on the Tower of Terror before. Let me let me help you, not in the way that my friends helped me. Don't do it, right? It is just, it is the most terrible thing in the world. And I nearly died in a car crash, right? It's, it's that much worse than that. And so it Here's what it does if you've never been on it. It takes you up. It takes you all the way to the very top, and then it holds you there for what feels like hours, right, as you're kind of stuck there. And you know what's happening. You know eventually it's going to drop and plummet you uh, towards your destiny, but but you're kind of stuck there in that moment, waiting until you finally hear a click. And then when it clicks, you begin to drop straight towards hell, right? And that's what's happening as, as you're going. But there's some twisted college student that got a summer job there that's working, and he decides, part way down he's going to stop it and bring you back up and then drop you again and repeat this for eternity right and that's what happens on this ride now i'm sitting there and i am like white knuckled holding on to my my seat right just crying out to jesus because i'm like i've done so many terrible things i am so sorry please save me jesus right and i got saved on the tower of terror 12 times. All right? like, every time it dropped, I'm like, oh Jesus, here I come, right? Like it's just like, this is this is insane. Now what really troubled me the most when I'm on this ride is that there was there was this 10-year-old girl screaming the entire time. And 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 I couldn't help but think who would do that to her, right? These are the worst parents in the world to subject this 10-year-old to this. And so when Satan's death trap finally stopped, right, and and Laura unbuckled my seatbelt for me because I still couldn't let go of the handles on the seat, I decided I wanted to just turn around. I wanted to try and console this little girl. I wanted to encourage her. I wanted to let her know that I was pretty scared myself, right? And so I turned around and I looked at her, and this is what she said. That was the greatest ride ever! (laughs) And she said, except for all the screaming, at which point she made eye contact with me... And I realize that apparently in the face of death, I scream like a 10-year-old girl. And I'm completely okay with that, right? It's just, uh, it's just where it was. Let me ask you a question. What are you, what are you afraid of? What are your fears in life? Because fear is one of those things that we all face. It's one of those things that every single one of us deals with. There are rational fears, right? There's things like snakes and spiders and meatloaf, because I don't think meat should ever be in a loaf. It just uh, feels weird to me, right? Rational fears. But then there's a lot of irrational fears. And it doesn't take long to, to search online to find some of those fears. I've got a few for you. Here's one. Anatidophobia. This is suffered by some humans. It is the fear of being watched by a duck. It's not the fear of ducks. It's the fear of being watched by a duck, which if you have that fear, I think officially makes you quackers. You know what? I'm more disappointed in myself for telling that joke than you could possibly be with me for for sharing it too. All right, that's one. Here's another one, there's redneckophobia. Redneckophobia, this is suffered by ducks. It's a fear of bearded men in camouflage with TV shows, right, and so it goes both ways, it goes both ways. Uh, Nomophobia, nomophobia is a fear of not having mobile phone contact. Have you ever left home without your phone and you're like, I'm naked, right? You're just like, how many of you have already checked your phone during this service? Don't put your hand up because you've got this, right? That's you. You have, you're suffering from this one. Here's another one. Selfie phobia. That's suffered by all teenage girls across the world, right? That's just, that's one of those. Uh, Phobophobia. That is the fear of phobias. So the longer I go reading this list, the more and more anxious you're getting. Uh, Angoraphobia. That's the fear of open spaces, not to be confused with angoraphobia, which is the fear of soft fuzzy sweaters. And so again, one letter can change, can change everything. There's a Clintonophobia, but it may be too soon still to, uh, to go down that, that road. Uh, I found this one. I, I thought this was uh, a pelletophobia. Pelletophobia is the fear of losing your hair. Now, that's not irrational. That's a, that's a legitimate fear that some of us deal with uh, on a regular basis. Last one I found is, is this hopophobia. Hopophobia, it is the fear of never finding a parking spot at Hope. And so uh, <laughs> many of you wrestled with that one already this morning, right? So there's so many fears out there that they actually have started naming all of the fears, right? Because it's just one of those things that we deal with. We all deal with fears. We deal with fear of the unknown. We deal with fears of, of criticism. We deal with fear of not being popular or fear of failure, fear of making a mistake, fear of, of being let go, fear of rejection, fear of being alone. And the reality is, is that fear can both overwhelm and overtake us. Here's a, my kind of working definition of fear. It's, it's simply the absence of faith. Fear happens when we focus on the, on the wrong things, right? Fear happens when we begin to focus on the what ifs. What if the economy falls apart? What if I lose my job? What if someone I love gets cancer? What if I never ever get married? What if I marry a jerk? What if I marry a jerk and that jerk already has kids that look like the jerk and so it eternally reminds me that I married a jerk, right? And some of these, some of these fears are things that we deal with. They go on and on because we have these what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, this would happen. And so fear, what it ends up being is it's kind of placing our faith in the worst case scenarios in life. And if I'm honest, I can be easily overtaken and overwhelmed by irrational fears in my life. But I love this verse in Psalm 34:4. it says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. So here's what I want us to discover today, that there is an answer for our fears, and Jesus is going to show us, and he's going to show us based on how he faced some of his own fears. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to uh, John chapter 18, John 18. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. You can follow along on the side screens, or you can download the app, and and, uh, you can follow along in the notes. Uh, there. While you're turning to John 18, let me give you a little bit of of where we've been in this series. Uh, In this series, we're taking a look at the few middle chapters of the book of John, And, and we've talked about this. The first 12 chapters in the book of John, really John in those 12 chapters focuses on the first few years of Jesus' public ministry. And then the last two chapters, chapters 20 and 21, he focuses on the last few weeks after Jesus' resurrection and before his ascension back to heaven. But in the middle, chapters 13 through 19, What John does is he goes into incredible detail to share with us the last few hours of Jesus' life before he goes to the cross. In chapters 13 through 17, where we kind of concluded last week and Mike wrapped up that section of it, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's really teaching us the things that matter most to him. He's sharing his last words, his last teachings with them, trying to inspire them, trying to remind them of how it is they're supposed to live and what, what is most important to them. Now in chapter 18 and then next week in chapter 19, what we're going to see is Jesus begin to to show us less teaching and more now putting it into practice and and living these things out. And so today we're going to talk about how do we face our fears? How did Jesus handle it in the face of fear? And how do we replace our fears with faith? John 18, beginning at verse 1, says this. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now, let's just stop just for a a second here. Last weekend, Mike had an incredible message, right, in John chapter 17. And and it was Jesus' prayer. It was his prayer for his disciples. It was his prayer for us, even. We are included in that prayer, right? And it was an incredible message. If you missed it, I can't encourage you uh, strongly enough to go back and to watch that online. Uh, And so that's where we are. And so the beginning of this, when it says that Jesus was was finished praying, that's what it's referring to. And then it says that Jesus left and he crossed the Kidron Valley. Now, just so you understand what, what that would be like, it, it's, it's kind of this, this path, it's this little ravine, this little valley. And so in, in John chapter 13, when we started the series, Jesus washed the disciples' feet and they celebrated Passover in the, in the upper room. They would have to leave that upper room and they would go down into this little valley and they were gonna pass through it to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now in the garden, we know that that's where Jesus was going to pray one last time and that's where Jesus was going to be arrested. And so we know that John wrote to a, a wide audience in his writing. And so most of his readers, they would have known this area. They would have been familiar with the, the general path that Jesus and his disciples would have taken to get from the upper room through this valley, through this ravine and, and onto the garden. And so why would John put this in there? I think John writes this, this detail in there because he's trying to paint this incredible picture of who Jesus is. You see, this valley, it would have been dry during the spring. It really only filled up during rainy season and it was a place that would kind of catch all of that rain and, and as a basin, it would, it would run out. Now the temple, the temple was located at the top of this ravine. And we know at this time that they were celebrating Passover. And this included sacrificing lambs in the temple for Passover. Now historians did account and and they believe that that on average every year there'd be somewhere around 256,000 lambs that would be slaughtered, that would be sacrificed during Passover season in Jerusalem. That's a lot of lambs and that is a a lot of blood. And so what would happen is that the blood from these sacrifices, it would drain out of the temple and it would come down into this Kidron Valley and it would flow down and out of the valley. And so as Jesus crosses this valley, it would be covered in blood from the sacrifices of those those lambs, those temporary offerings that were made in the temple. But we know that Jesus is the Lamb of God, the, the permanent sacrifice for all mankind. And so as he's crossing through this little valley, through this little ravine covered in blood, he knew that he was on his way to the cross. Jesus knew his destination. He knew that death was just hours away from him. But he walks toward it anyways. He walks toward it for us. He walks toward it for you. He walks toward it for me. In fact, John said that in the beginning in John chapter one, he, he said, Here comes the Lamb of the world, the, or the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world, right? To to die to save our sins. Verse two says this in John eighteen. It says, Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Now, I want to stop here just for a second because I think it's interesting. John doesn't really draw too much attention to Judas, right? From this moment on, when, when Judas walked out of, out of that last supper together with the disciples, John doesn't give him a lot of, of mention, but he does mention him here. And I think it's very interesting that in John chapter 18, there are two characters that, that have both similar, similar uh, things that are happening in their lives, but two completely different paths. And here we see Judas and Peter, both who are going to turn their backs on Jesus. Judas, in his guilt, is going to choose to be separated from God, from Jesus for eternity. Peter receives Jesus' forgiveness, and he uses his life to change history. Now, in these verses, it talks about a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. Now, we don't know exactly what the size of this army is because the the word for detachment is used a few different ways at different times. Typically, it meant a group of 600 soldiers. Now, many scholars don't think there would have been that many this time just coming to arrest Jesus, but they feel like there probably would have been somewhere at least between 100 and 200 fully trained, fully armed soldiers in this Roman detachment. But it also says that there are some officials of the chief priests and the Pharisees. Now, these were, these were temple police. These were Jewish, Jewish soldiers who weren't allowed to carry weapons, so they're probably the ones carrying the, the lanterns and the torches. See, whatever the number is, there are a lot of soldiers that have come to this garden to arrest one lone teacher and 11 terrified fishermen and tax collectors. Verse 4 says this. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him. Hang on to that for a second. Okay, if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to to underline, to underline that, those words right there. Jesus knowing all that was going to happen to him. As we look at these next few verses, keep that in the back of your mind, that Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. He went out and he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now there's a couple of of, of really cool things in these few verses. The first is this, is that Jesus went out to them Right? That's not normal. I- I've watched enough cops and-, and Dog the Bounty Hunter to know that-, that when someone is guilty, the last thing they do is they walk out towards someone, right, towards that officer and say, who is it you're looking for? Right? I'm right here. They don't do that. Right? When someone is guilty, they turn and run. That's why we watch those shows. It wouldn't be on TV if they just surrendered all the time. We know that because we love the shaky camera scene as they're running through people's backyards and climbing over fences. And there's always that one police officer that pretends to stop and and try to update the cameraman on what's happening with the chase. We know he's just out of breath, right? But uh, we love that part. And so we watch those things. When someone is guilty, they run. So why did Jesus go out to them? I think a few things. One is he knew he wasn't guilty. The second is he was confident in God's plan. And the third is that he had complete faith in his father. And did you catch what, what happened in the, in the second part? Did you catch what happened when, when he answered them? They said that we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and, and Jesus said, I am he. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. How incredible is this, right? Here's this, this huge army that, that's come to arrest one man, and, and Jesus stands there and he tells them his name. He says, I'm, I'm the one that you're looking for. I, I'm he, I'm standing right there. And, and, and these guys, they, they draw back these soldiers, hundreds of them, and they fall to the ground. Are, are they afraid? Are they, are they afraid that Jesus is going gonna, is gonna to come at them? I, I can't believe that, right? They're Roman soldiers. These guys are, are, are trained killers, and they've got numbers. There are hundreds of them. Are they just getting into some kind of defensive position and and they all happen to to kind of fall back at at the same time? Probably not, because this is just one man, one unarmed teacher that they came to arrest. Did they all happen to trip at the same time? See, when Jesus said, I am he, he was using very, very significant words. Words that you see again and again in the Gospel of John. Jesus said, I am the light of the world he said i am the good shepherd i am the door i am the way and the truth and the life i am means i am god in exodus chapter 3 when God had called Moses to go back into Egypt and, and to release, to, to demand to Pharaoh to release the nation of Israel, to, to release them as slaves into freedom. And Moses says to God, he said, God, who, who do I go and, and tell them is sending me? What's your name? And God looks at Moses and he says, tell them I am is sending you. And here Jesus clearly links himself to God. Now, I understand for the Jewish police, right? The Jewish police, they they would have understood the significance of what Jesus just said. And so I understand understand them being taken aback by that. I understand them maybe even wanting to distance themselves, thinking, God's going to smite this dude, right? He does blasphemy right there. He's calling himself God. We want to get as far back from this as possible. I understand that for them. But it's amazing to me that these hundreds of Roman soldiers who wouldn't have understood the significance of what Jesus said are knocked backwards and they fall to the ground. Jesus, just by the, the power of his name, overwhelms this army. And, and I don't think it was, it was any kind of Star Wars kind of thing, right? I, I don't think he used the force. I don't think there were lightning bolts shooting out of heaven. I don't think his, his voice changed into, into James Earl Jones' voice, right? Like, I, I don't think any of those things happened. I think it was just the power of the voice of God in a human body. The same powerful voice that spoke all things into creation. The same powerful voice that healed diseases. The same powerful voice that raised Lazarus from the dead. The same powerful voice that forgave sins. And they all fell over in recognition of who he was. See, I don't don't think God had to do anything fancy in this place. It was simply Jesus being Jesus. It was Jesus being God. And I know we say that, right? I know we say that we we believe that. But I want you to really think about that this morning. He created, right? He healed. He raised from the dead. He forgives sins. He calmed storms. And saying his name, he knocked over an entire army. Let me ask you a question. How powerful is your God? He knows you and he loves you, and he desperately wants a relationship with you. Why do we doubt God is powerful enough to help us with our fears? Verse 7 says this. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. And this happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. This is incredible too, right? Here, Here's Jesus and, and, and now he begins to tell them what to do. This army, and I get it, right? If you've just been kind of knocked over by a guy just kind of saying his name, you're probably a little bit more open to him calling some of the shots with what's going on next. And, and so Jesus says, I'm the one that you're looking for, but I've got a condition. I'll, I'll surrender myself, but the condition is this, is you need to let all of my guys go, Now, I've watched enough movies and and television shows, right, to know that that happens all the time, right? The hero steps up and says, I'll surrender, but you just need to let the rest of them go. And the bad guy always says, of course I'll let them go. I just want you. And he surrenders, and what does he do? Takes all of them, right? We, We know that. We see that in the movies and television, but apparently not when Jesus is calling the shots. See, Jesus had said two other times in the book of John that he hadn't lost one single one of those that God had given them. And here he fulfills this. See, they came to arrest Jesus. But it's Jesus that's telling them what to do. It's Jesus who's giving the commands. It's Jesus who is in charge. And as a result, they don't arrest his disciples because Jesus is in complete control of the situation. God has a plan. Verse 10. Then Simon Peter who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink from the cup the Father has given me? See, finally, and and maybe even most amazingly, Jesus provides protection Peter had a sword and and he drew it. And and the Greek word probably means, it was probably more of like a a dagger, but he drew this sword. And my guess is he was swinging for the head of this high priest's servant, but he probably ducked. Peter missed and he ends up cutting off one of his ears. And this is just one of those little touches in the Bible, right, that that just helps prove that this is an, an eyewitness as John writes this story, as he writes this account about God. And to me, this adds so much credibility and reliability to the Bible. It says that he cut off his right ear and that his name was Malchus. What Luke tells us is that not only did Jesus command Peter to put his sword away, but Jesus bent down, picked up the ear, put it back on the servant's head, and healed him. That's Jesus. Right, here's Jesus. He's minutes away from being arrested. He is hours away from going to the cross, and he loves his enemies enough to heal an ear. This just shows us who Jesus really is, that he is the God of compassion, he is a God of care, he is a God of protection. Not just for his disciples, but for his enemies as well, and eventually for all humanity. Verse 12 says this, Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. So Jesus is taken away, and they begin several illegal trials. We're going to take a look at that more next weekend. But simultaneous to to these trials, we see that Peter also is going through three smaller trials. Beginning at verse 15, it says this, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But the priest came, or sorry, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I'm not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. See, Jesus is arrested most of the other disciples have fled by this moment, but Peter and maybe John, we don't know who this other disciple is, but they follow Jesus. And Peter can't get inside, right? He's kept on the outside, but this other disciple has a, has a hookup. And so he goes in and he comes back and he talks to the, to the woman bouncer at the door. And as he, she's letting Peter in and she's checking his ID, she says to him, aren't you one of those guys that was following Jesus? Peter's like, who, who, me? No, 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 not me, right? I, I, I wasn't, I mean, I've I got a familiar looking face, right? i kind of around, I got a beard. A lot of guys have beards. It, it, it wasn't me. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And I don't know if you remember at the beginning of this series that, that after, after Jesus had washed the feet of his disciples, he had a conversation with Peter and this is what he said in John thirteen thirty-six. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Denial number one. Verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, aren't you one of his disciples too? He denied it, saying, "I, uh, I am not." Right here, here, here we have the, the, the second one. Here's, here's Peter, right? He says. Aren't you one of them too? Seriously, you guys too? No, I'm not. I mean, I've probably been seen with him. It's small towns around here. I'm sure we've bumped into each other once in a while, but no, 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 you clearly have me mixed up with someone else. I'm not, I'm not that guy, denial number two. And I wonder as Peter is standing there around that fire if he's so defensive that he's not drawing attention to himself because look what happens in verse 26. It says this, one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Who, who, me? What what, what sword? This this sword? No, no. Cut off his right ear? How would I even know it was his right ear? Definitely not me. I, I wasn't there. I'm not your guy. Denial number three, and the rooster crows. You see, fear will lead you to either deny or to depend on God. Peter three times gave, or sorry, denied Jesus. Three times in the face of his fears. And so let me go back and ask you the question again. What are you afraid of? Is it something within your family? Is it a broken relationship, a destructive habit, or a a wayward child? Is it an unstable job, or no job, or the, the wrong job? Is it a missed opportunity? Or, or a bad decision, a, a diagnosis, a financial concern. What is it that keeps you up at night? Is it your relationship with God? Is it a, a, a sin that you've got going on in your life that you just haven't confessed yet? Is it a hurting friend or a family member or coworker or neighbor? Or is it a fear of sharing your faith with that hurting friend or family member or coworker or neighbor? What is it that you're afraid of? See, what truths about God are you denying because of your fears? Because when we're afraid, what happens is as a result, we say that I don't believe your promises for me, God. I read your word, but I can't believe that you would care enough about me to do that in my life. And we begin to deny the things that God has said are true about us and the things that he said are true about him that he wants to do in our lives when we give in to our fears. See, fear and faith cannot exist at the same time. Fear causes us to deny God and to deny Jesus. Faith causes us to depend on God and to depend on Jesus. See, Jesus, during his arrest, he gave us three things that we can put our faith in. Here's the first one. He told us to put faith in his power. When Jesus said his name, he said, I am. Everyone fell to the ground. That's a a big deal because God is all powerful. You see, the only thing that God can't do is that he can't sin, and that should strengthen us. And it leads us to this question, who, who do I look for for power? Do you look for your own, to your own strength? Do you look to somebody else's strength? Do you look to money for power? Do you look to, to your job or your career? Do you look to your accomplishments or, or your trophies? Where is it that you try to find significance and power in your life? See, when God names himself I am, this is so significant because what Jesus is saying is that I am all you'll ever need. I'm courage when you need courage. I'm strength when you feel weak and you don't think you can do this on your own. I'm hope when everything around you seems hopeless. I'm peace when your life is in total chaos. I am joy when you don't feel like getting out of bed in the morning. I'm love. When you're in desperate need of love, I'm salvation because you can't save yourself. So whatever your need or whatever you need in your greatest fear, Jesus is always the answer. So let me ask you this question. Do you trust that God is powerful enough to do and to be whatever you need? Here's the second thing that we see that we can put our faith in. We put our faith in his plans, we put our faith in his plan. See, when this army got up and they, they, they told Jesus, or Jesus actually began to tell them what to do. And so even during his arrest, right, we see Jesus is the one that's giving the commands. We see Jesus is the one that's in charge. We see that God has a plan even in that. Now, I know we talk about this a lot because we need to hear it a lot. God doesn't cause everything in our lives, but God is always in control of everything in our lives, See, we don't always understand it, and we don't always even like it, but that doesn't mean that God isn't trying to do something, that God isn't trying to make you more like him, that God isn't trying to make you depend on him more, that God isn't trying to use you to help someone else, that God isn't trying to grow your faith. That's why we need to read. God's Word, because in His Word, He gives us His commands, and He shows us and reveals to us and gives us hope and confidence that He is in control, that God has a plan for our lives. Last weekend, Mike said this, the best thing that you can do is spend time reading and consuming God's Word. That will set you apart for the intended purpose that God has called you to, and that should challenge us. So let me give you this question. Do you trust God's plan for your life? Here's a third thing that we see during his arrest. We see faith in his protection. See, he heals Malchus' ear and and he protects his disciples from the soldiers. And and if I'm honest with you, it's a constant battle for me to to put the needs of others before myself. And I fail at it all the time. And yet here's Jesus just hours from going to the cross with his enemies standing right in front of him. And Jesus cares enough to to bend over, pick up his ear and, and to heal this man. That's just Jesus, right? It just makes sense. This is who he is. It's, it's what he does. And he's about to go to the cross and offer spiritual healing and spiritual protection for all that have ever lived. This should comfort us. Let me ask you this question. Is God's protection enough for your fears? Now, there's one bonus one. This doesn't happen in the arrest. This happens afterwards. But one other thing that we can put our faith in, and it's this. We can put our faith in his forgiveness. See, if you feel like you've messed up like Peter, what I want you to know is that God is kind and he is understanding in our weaknesses. But he does require that, that we go forward in our faith. And the Bible is very, very clear that our faith does not mature, it does not strengthen, it does not grow unless it is tested, unless there are trials in our lives. See, adversity is God's most effective tool for growing our faith. Our fears impact our relationship with God. And so I want you to know that it's not too late. If you skip ahead to John chapter 21, we don't have time to look at it today. I would encourage you to read it this week on your own. But in John chapter 21, after Peter has denied Jesus three times, Jesus sits down and has a conversation with Peter. And three times Jesus says, he asks Peter a question. He says, Peter, do you love me? And after every single one of those times, Peter says, yes. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, I still have a plan for you. He says, Peter, I'm not done with you yet. And I want you to hear that today, that God is not done with you yet. Your sins can be forgiven through Jesus. And it doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter how far away from God you are. It doesn't matter how much you've messed up your life. It doesn't matter how alone you are. It doesn't matter how paralyzed you are by the fears in your life. If you put your faith in him, God gives you a fresh start. I heard a pastor once talk about a service that they held, and, and it was a, the theme was confession, confession. And at the end of the service, they invited individuals and families to to come forward and to um, literally attach their sins to a cross as a symbol of of God's forgiveness for them. And we've done stuff like that here before. And so one family came forward and they wrote down their confessions anonymously and they folded up their pieces of paper and they went up and they pinned it to the cross just like everyone else was doing. But the youngest in their family, a little six-year-old, wrote, God, I'm sorry because I lie. And then he signed his name to it. And he went up to the cross, and he didn't fold it. He pinned it right in the front and center of that cross where everybody could see what his sin was and everyone could see what his name was. And and his parents asked him, they said, why did you put your name on it? Don't you want to fold it up so that no one can see it? And here's what the little boy said. He said, I wrote my name on it because if they know it was me, maybe they can help me stop. So here's what I want you to hear today, is that wherever you are, no matter how paralyzed, overwhelmed You are by the fears and the things that are going on in your life. No matter how messed up or broken your life is, it's not too late for you. And God says, I want to help you stop. I want to give you a fresh start. I want you to understand that I love you as you are, where you are, for who you are. See, fear will lead us to either deny or to depend on God. And what God is saying to us today is I want you to trust. I want you to trust in my power. I want you to trust in my plan for your life. I want you to trust in my protection. And even when you mess up and you think you've gone too far, I want you to understand that there is forgiveness and there's hope for you. Will you bow your head and just join me as we pray? Imagine what this would look like in your life if you could could let go of those fears, those what ifs, those things that are holding you back. What fears do you have? What are those worries? What are those things that are causing you to to doubt or to deny that God loves you, that he cares about you, that he has the power to, to change circumstances or situations? Will you just admit it to him, just in the quiet of your heart, just say, God, I admit these fears to you. Because when we face our fears, God gives us the faith that we need to recognize his power and his plans and his protection. Father, whatever fears we each face today, whatever fears we face tomorrow, will you help us to turn to you and, and not away from you? Will you help to grow our faith to depend on you and not deny that you can help us? God, help us to trust your power. Help us to trust your plan for our lives. Help us to trust in your protection. When we mess up and some of us feel that way today, and we know that we need to, to be forgiven. God, we thank you that you offer that forgiveness for us. And as we sit here today, if you're in that place where you're just saying, God, I I know that I need help. I know that I need your grace. And today, by faith, I want to surrender my life to you. I want that forgiveness in my life. Will you just, in the quiet of your heart, just pray this. Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner, and, and I need a Savior. Jesus, forgive me. Change me. Make me brand new. I believe that you died for me and that you rose again so that I could live for you. Will you fill me with your spirit so that I can follow you, so I can know you, and so I can serve you with all of my life? Thank you for new life. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for freedom from my fears. Today I give you mine, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.